Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Like Heather. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt-Santi. Uh, thrilled that today my guest is Judy Jablin. Hi, Judy. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for welcoming me on your cool podcast. <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I don't think, I can't remember now if I said author Judy or just Judy, but you're more than just an author. Tell folks what uh, what you want them to know about you. Um. Well, I often just say, you know, I'm just Judy, but uh, I think the most important thing for the listeners we have is that first and foremost, I'm a teacher mm-hmm. and that, you know, I feel so blessed to have spent my career caring for, thinking about, wondering about the adults who care for kids and kids. Mm-hmm. And wow. I started a long, long time ago um, teaching young children and in 2016, I started a nonprofit called Leading for Children. And the focus of our work is that we believe with deep conviction that stronger adults make stronger kids mm-hmm. and stronger communities. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited today to talk with you about how do we do that all together? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm, as I said, I'm very excited. A lot of listeners will know your name from your book, Powerful Interactions and Coaching with Powerful Interactions, um, the book you co-authored. Um, but but that's how I first um, came to know you and came to know your name. Um, there was several years ago, um, NACI did their Professional Learning Institute. It was still called the Professional Development Institute then. Um, and it was in Indianapolis. And I remember I went to, to one of your sessions. Um, and um, not only was it so much fun to be in your session, but like accidentally Ray Pico was at the table next to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, what am I going to do with all this? Um, so I've been following, reading your stuff for a long time, um, and just uh, can't believe that that you're on the show now with me. So thank you for all of that. Well, thanks. I'll add that um, the the first thing that um, I guess I want other people to know too about you know being an author <laughs> is that I feel when I was a teacher and we invited children to write, you know, we talked to them about how they're authors mm-hmm. and, you know, the excitement that kids felt about that. Well, I didn't get to have that when I was growing up. I, I actually had a lot of stress at, at school in the fifties mm-hmm. <laughs> and also with a mother who was very rigid about, you know, how I did things. Um, I do know that the first time I really found joy in storytelling and in writing was with children. Uh Um, And then when I was asked to first work on a book was when I was, um, after I graduated from working on my master's at Bank Street, I taught there and then I taught in the graduate school and actually Ann Mitchell invited me to work on a book uh, that was for Bank Street. And I called my friend and co-author now of many, many years, Amy Dombro, Mm -hmm. who I knew since 1979, and said, holy moly, I can't write. 
And she said, I'll help you. (laughs) And so Amy Dombro has been my co-author starting in 1990 when we worked on explorations and then um, when we wrote The Power of Observation. Yeah. And and is still my co-author as we do the revisions to coaching with powerful interactions. Yeah, that's so, great. I, she has also been on my list. Um, I can't, I can't remember exactly. There's a couple of specific infant toddler resources that that she was part of that really were impactful for me um, earlier in my career. So um, yeah, she's definitely great uh, and and has had a huge impact for me too. So I love that that story that she said she'd help you. <laughs> Um, so you have a you have a new book, and this is um, where we're starting today, at least. Um, and it's called Eleven Simple Rules to Create Thriving Communities for Children. And uh, this is uh, by you and Nicole Parks. You have a co-author here too, always. <laughs> um, and so I just um, uh, I just got this. I don't know how long it's been available, but I've just had it for about, about a, a month. Yeah, I was going to say that's about how long I've had it. Um, and it's one of those, uh, before we get to this specific quote, it's one of those, I, and I'll just say I'm only halfway through so far, but so far I feel like this needs to be in the hands of anyone who interacts with children, even if, and even, you know, you don't have to have children. You don't have to be a professional working with children. I think this is good for anyone who cares about the world we live in and shares space with young children. Heather, that could not have been a more beautiful endorsement. <laughs> Um, that is so much at the core of, yeah. at the heart yeah. of what Nicole and I wanted to accomplish yeah. in crafting this book. Yeah. And it's, it's of course, beautiful photos. I mean, just everything about it so far, I'm I'm really in love with, but so for our conversation, um, because right now it's just been fangirling. <laughs> so Both ways. Start our, our, the conversation. So this comes from page nine of your book. Um, and you say humanity is not a lofty idea. It's the heart of our daily life. It's how we treat one another. It's everything we say and do. And it's what children experience and learn from every day. And that chokes me up a little bit because keeping humanity in everything we do, the the idea of humanity and the reality that we're all humans together doing what we can (laughs) is so much what guides, such, such a big part of what guides everything I do around young children and families and their, you know, the adults who are working with them. So, um, so thank you, I guess, just for that sentence. But <laughs> I want to invite you to talk about that a little bit now. Thanks, Heather. Um, you know, I think that the most significant thing for me, um, and it's a little bit embodied in in what I took the story I shared about, you know, becoming a writer and Amy saying, you know, she would help me, is that how we show up every single day Mm -hmm. is our humanity, you know, like our decision to say hello to a construction worker or the person at Dunkin' Donuts or, you know, the homeless person on the street, Mm -hmm. our, our decision to see people and to say we exist in a world of people. And that I get to choose every day how I want to show up. In fact, I wasn't planning on this, but I think I'm going to re- read a quick quote by yeah. Jane. 
Goodall. That's in another one of our books, The Five yeah. Commitments of Optimistic Leaders. Jane Goodall says, you cannot get through a single day without having an impact on the world around you. What you do makes a difference and you have to decide what kind of difference you want to make. And I think that quote speaks to this idea of humanity mm -hmm. or, or how we are in the natural world, how we choose to show up for our climate, how we choose to show up for animals. Mm -hmm. But certainly children learn about humanity and how to be human from us. Mm -hmm. They're watching us all the time. And so often they're learning things from us that we didn't intend yeah. from, for them to learn. You know, I wish I could describe the stellar days that I was a teacher for children, you know, all the flawless things that I did, <laughs> all the great decisions I made. But mostly I remember a lot of the bad ones mm -hmm. and the ways that I was not the best teacher for children, you know, and one of the things that I know, I remember, is how my kindergarten teacher showed up for me, Miss Carlin. I cried my eyes out walking into school on that first day of kindergarten. And my dad was like a total disaster trying to sort of help me navigate kindergarten. He, he was doing the best he could, but he yeah. had to get to work. And yeah. just like every other parent, Miss Carlin did not say, why are you crying, Judy? Miss Carlin didn't tell me to stop crying. And you know, this is 64 years ago, and I can picture it. Mm. This morning, she taught me about humanity. She taught me that she saw me. She saw beyond my tears. She was on her knee, and she said, hi, Judy, I'm so glad to see you. Have I got someone to introduce you to? And she <laughs> took me by my hand, and she took me into that classroom, and she introduced me to another little five-year-old who was the total social worker and had all of her stuff together <laughs> and was just fine. And I was fine. Mm. And that stays with me so that all these years later, I ask groups of educators all the time, in 20 years, what do you want someone to be saying about you? Mm -hmm. And so humanity is about thinking and deciding, as Jane Goodall says, yeah. what's the impact we want to have? How do children learn kindness, respect, and empathy? They watch us. You mean you don't buy a, a kit about empathy? Well, <laughs> I think just... there's about 52 that are for sale. Yeah, teach it for a week and boom, we have empathy. <laughs> well, and how many programs are there teaching social emotional skills? If we could get us, yes. the adults and children's lives to self-regulate a little more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to think before we blurt. Yeah. Yeah. We'd have a lot better social emotional development. Yeah. That, I mean, of course, that's that's uh, spot on for me. And I, you know, I've had a little pushback. I don't want to spend, I guess, the whole show on this, but I've had a little pushback on that kind of approach lately um, on, you know, with the idea that our early childhood uh, teachers, providers, whatever you want to call them, are so stressed themselves. Um that they're that they're having problems with with this kind of behavior that that we describe, you know, this um, decision making. And I don't want to take anything away from that, but ultimately, we are the adults who've chosen to, to spend our days in this way. 
And um, so maybe framing it in humanity softens that message a little bit. Well, and that gets to, to leading for children's mission. I mean, when we say stronger adults equal stronger kids, we're, we're inviting mutual learning. We're inviting uh -huh. the collective. We're inviting, you know, like the goofy expression that it takes a village to raise a yeah. child, that the onus doesn't fall on any one group. And we've created structures in our field that that are these silos. Mm -hmm. And if we, when we wrote this book, part of the reason we made 11 simple rules and that included, I think it's something like 77 photos mm -hmm. is to say, could we just all chat together about what it feels like when it's calm in a mm -hmm. space? It's not calm for children. It's calm for all of us. Mm -hmm. And everybody can relate to that. And if we created inclusive conversations among us all about what is calm, what is safe, what is organized, mm -hmm. and, and we came to a shared calm <laughs> understanding yeah of calm yeah and we then talk about it with children it's not teaching it it's living it mm -hmm. and it's living 11 simple rules of humanity it's living a way of being together that promotes more equity more harmony and i think in order for us to really take strides we have to uncomplicate some of what we've complicated. Mm -hmm. Can you can you talk more about what that means, uncomplicating? What are what do we need to uncomplicate? Well, I'm sure in your professional experience because you have a really robust background. <laughs> um, you know, you've been on committees to develop the 162 early learning standards <laughs> or to revise the 162 uh -huh. early learning standards. I call that an example of complicating. Mm -hmm. And I'm not suggesting that teaching effectively is not complicated. It is. But the some of the fundamental ideas don't have to be so complicated. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean to have good relationships and interactions. Yeah, we can have a whole lot of, I won't even mention any particular categories <laughs> that we can evaluate. Uh -huh. But if we just invite people to talk about open, honest, trusting, and two-way, almost to a person, we're at least going to create a conversation. Mm -hmm. We're unequivocally, we don't have to put a sign up that says multicultural. If we just make <laughs> sure we have people who represent different households and different backgrounds and different sets of experiences and different age groups, we're going to hear stories of how people grew up and what was expected mm -hmm. and what does open mean and how open do I have to be? Do I have to tell you everything about me to be open? And that's not complicated. Mm -hmm. That's human. 
Yeah. And so what I'm saying is, can we start there? Mm -hmm. Can we start there and find synergy? Can we start there and use one another to stretch our thinking rather than sort of rigid, rigid, rigidly <laughs> holding on to a position? Mm -hmm. And so that I think is how I would describe beginning to uncomplicate what we've made complicated. Yeah. And I'd love for you to push back because I'm not sure anyone's asked me the question and I'm not <laughs> sure I've ever answered it. And honestly, I'm not exactly sure what I said. No, yeah. <laughs> That's what happens to me. I get into like a fugue state and I don't remember um, what I, what I said about things. But no, I think that is a really good, two really good examples of things that are meaningful uh, that, that we want to give some attention, but we, we other it sort of commodify it instead of just saying, well, we could do this as a group of humans together <laughs> who could, who could contribute to this. Um, so that, I mean, that's really, I, I think that's really meaningful. Um, so I want to invite you now because you've mentioned the rules a, a few times and it's the title of the book um, to just sort of give us a synopsis of what that means, or if you want to go through the different rules, I don't want to give away the whole book because I want them to buy it. But what do you oh, want? Thank you, Heather. Um, <laughs> what what they what can't we talk see the about? pictures? They can't yeah. see the cool pictures yeah. on a podcast. So yeah, that's true. Um, okay, so again, pretty much everything with Judy Javelin starts with a story. Um, initially, when when I I started to conceptualize this, and it was probably in around. 2014, I was with a group of directors and they were super, super stressed, mm -hmm. legitimately. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we, I forget even what we were supposed to talk about, but I gave them the task. I think I might've shared this with you as we were preparing. I gave them the task of you know, writing down like the top 10 things they were anxious about on post-its and one anxious on each post-it. Mm -hmm. And then I said, imagine for a minute that we could only think about three categories, relationships and interactions, the emotional and physical environment and learning experiences. Uh -huh. And I said, and and think about those for your staff, for your teachers, you know, professional learning. Think about those for family engagement. So keep those in mind for families and absolutely think about them for your for the children in your programs. Mm -hmm. And I said, sort your stresses. And the only one that they couldn't immediately put into one of those three categories was finances. Oh. And so what we did was we said, so there are finances that have to do with the people. There are finances that have to do with the space. Yeah. And there are finances that have to do with materials and learning and so <laughs> on. And so they could put that there too. Mm -hmm. And one person, and I did not in my mind, I was not thinking simple rules. Mm -hmm. I was not thinking about a book. I was thinking about making what felt complicated 
a little less complicated. Mm -hmm. And one director raised her hand and she said, I'm going to take these three categories and they're going to be like my reflection tool every Monday. What do I have to think about this week? And I'm just going to list my things I have to think about in those three categories. I said, well, that seems like a really great <laughs> idea. And that just sort of led to this okay. whole conversation. So in my mind, I thought, well, can we simplify how we think about the ecosystem for children in terms of these three categories? Mm -hmm. And so I kept playing with groups of people and then Nicole joined the party. And actually I'll pay tribute to another colleague, Laura Ensler, who was part of the early plan playing and planning. And, um, and we started asking people when you think about relationships and interactions. Oh, and our, our friends in Wyoming also were very involved in this. We said, what are the important ideas in relationships and interactions? And we did that with people in very many different settings. We did the same thing about the emotional and physical environment. And mm -hmm. we did the same thing about learning experiences. We asked different groups of people to focus on different populations. So like, what do you feel about kids? What do you feel about adults with kids? What do you feel about just adults? What do you feel mm -hmm. about teachers? What do you, you know? Okay. And the words just kept coming. The same words just mm -hmm. kept coming. And then we had people sort the words. And then we came up with four simple rules for relationships and interactions. They should be open. Mm -hmm. They should be honest. They should be trusting. And they should be two-way. Mm -hmm. And what open means to us is that there you're like approachable mm -hmm. you know honest means you're telling the truth it doesn't mean you're telling everything <laughs> that's an important distinction <laughs> trusting means you do what you say uh -huh. and i can trust you to do what you say mm -hmm. and two-way means two-way right right and so if you think about that teacher child you think about that teacher assistant teacher or two mm -hmm. teacher you think about that supervisor supervisee coach teacher parent teacher parent caregiver parent parent <laughs> you know like wherever you go that's going to lead to a healthy positive relationship and interaction yeah and then the same applies to the environment. So calm, we know that calm spaces affect your state of mind and allow you to be open, honest, trusting, and doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Safe means yeah. you're not in fight or flight. Organized doesn't necessarily mean room arrangement as a teaching strategy. <laughs> it means like it's predictable you you mm -hmm. know where to find what you need um it's the difference between um i can cook in my kitchen because i know what drawer things are in you know i can find my pajamas in my bedroom because when it's time to go to sleep i don't want to start searching for them <laughs> you know yep. and then respectful is a very inclusive term 
but this space has to respect Heather. It has to respect my humanity. It has mm-hmm. to respect your humanity. Mm-hmm. It has to respect our our individual needs, our collective needs. Yeah. And each of these words hopefully engenders rich dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's not put up a PowerPoint slide and talk about what it is. It's about use it as a catalyst to ignite conversation Mm -hmm. that leads to equity, you know. And then for learning, this one we had to really grapple because, of course, you know, we all as early childhood educators had 7,562 ideas that really were super important. (laughs) Yep. So meaningful and relevant you know, we toyed between the two and, and meaningful, you used it at the beginning of our conversation today. You know, I think it has meaning to me as a human. Mm-hmm. I, I can make meaning of this. You know, I can, un- I can get it. It's in my frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Exploratory is everything we talk about hands-on investigation representation you know like I can mess with it (laughs) until I can make my own more meaning Uh and then the third I have to attribute actually to a friend Gary who you know we were getting an application that you have to be able to use it and he suggested the word actionable Mm -hmm. um, because it's like a call to action like I can use this yeah. And, and so, it did, when I saw that word, it gave me pause. Like I had to stop and think, how is this different from other words that have been used in a similar context? And I think that's one of the things that's really powerful is that you've given it that intentionality. This is stuff we can do, you know, right away. We don't need to wait for the next meeting or the next budget cycle to order the materials we need or whatever, you know, those kinds of things that cause barriers sometimes. So we are trying now, I mean, we're, we're, we feel like we're, we're <laughs> succeeding in creating spaces, learning spaces that apply the 11 simple rules. Mm-hmm. And we invite others to do the same, that we learn these by living them. Mm-hmm. And that if children live them, they become part of who children are. And again, that's how we perpetuate this idea of humanity not being a lofty idea but yeah yeah um so you know one of the things listening to you first of all it's just lovely to listen to all of that. <laughs> it's it's so um I don't know it just it's speaking to me but you know my first impact in impulse when I got the book and when we first started when we had our chat to to plan out the recording, I was really focused on how could this be used on in the context of adults working with children, because that's where I always tend to go first. But a little while ago in your in your discussion of the rules, you talked about coworker to coworker. Um, And so I'd I'd be interested in hearing more about what this looks like, because that's a space where there's always usually predictably there's going to be some tension whatever your program is, there's going to be two folks who are having a hard time um, working together or being calm together as you're talking about. Um, So how, I don't, I guess I just kind of want to open it to how you think it connects at that, at that level. Well, I'll share, of course, (laughs) the story first. Um, 
a vendor who's working with Leading for Children. It's hard to call him a vendor because he's such an incredible human being and he's become a friend. But that, but my way of getting to know him is as a vendor and uh -huh. he is not an educator. Uh -huh. Okay. But we were talking about the simple rules in this conversation mm -hmm. that we were, you know, whatever the work we were going to be doing together, it involved talking about the simple rules. Mm -hmm. And Nicole actually gave an example of the time right before dinner when like everybody kind of comes home from work and all the words that are coming into my mind right now are not really politically <laughs> correct to use right now, but it's often a little chaotic uh -huh. in a household sort of yeah. that post work day, post program school day, prep for dinner. And there's a tendency for people to be short with mm -hmm. one another. So we were talking about that. A couple days later, this gentleman shared an anecdote back to us about how he and his spouse were preparing for dinner and they started to, is it quip? Like to, mm -hmm. to like, yeah, yeah. And our partner stopped himself and said, do I need to be right? right oh. now or could I be kind oh and he said the whole dinner was different because mm -hmm. he chose to make it calm by being kind mm -hmm. by letting go of right and then after dinner the the kids in that house are a little older and so he actually opened the conversation and like it became a family conversation oh okay and I think that's an incredible example uh -huh. of yeah. how, you know, because everybody had a better evening, everybody slept better, mm -hmm. and everybody started the next day better as a result of having a good evening and as a result of sleeping better. Mm -hmm. So a decision by one adult to be kinder to another adult rather than right, mm -hmm. or even letting go of right entirely had these ripples that everybody benefits from. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a quote in the book from Joan Lombardi, and she says, to thrive is to flourish, it is to bloom. For a child, it means that they are able to meet their potential to be happy, healthy, joyful, curious, and strong. And I would say for me, to have a day where I thrive is to flourish, to bloom, to meet my potential to be happy, mm -hmm. healthy, joyful, curious, and strong. <laughs> yes. And if I feel those ways, it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, that I'm creating an ecosystem for children in which they're around adults mm -hmm. who feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And I love thinking in terms of the ecosystem um, and how it all impacts every other piece of it. Yeah. And so we really believe that this is about the adults, that mm -hmm. we focused so much on putting children first, putting children first, putting children first. And we have to put the adults, we have to focus on ourselves because who was it? Um, uh, that guy who wrote The Seven Habits, uh, Stephen Covey. Says, oh, yeah. You know, 
you can only control what's in your sphere of control. And the only thing in your sphere of control is yourself. Right. Yeah. And, and so the, and it's what Jane Goodall said in the quote that I read that we get to decide and and I think we're not going to be perfect people. And this is not a weight on our shoulders to like only make great decisions. I mean, I'm going to be a jerk a lot of the days, <laughs> a lot of the times of the days. But if I was a jerk a little less, uh-huh. it would have good ripples. Yeah. Yeah. I think just that idea of bringing it back to the adults and and your focus on I don't think these are your words but adult well-being mm-hmm. um uh can really change a lot we we in terms of just thinking about humanity in in our spaces with young children because we create this hierarchy well they're a child and I'm a teacher um and I think just having that hierarchy creates stress because it gives us roles we feel like we need to play instead of just saying, let's meet in our humanity. <laughs> let's understand that we we both have human needs. We're both sharing this space. Um, you know, we maybe have different roles to play in that space, but but there's no better than, less than. Well, and let's play with this idea. Yeah. I, unequivocally, I agree with you. Yeah. Like I'm cheering and screaming <laughs> with pom-poms. Um, Heather, let's think about how the stress that providers feel, that child mm-hmm. care providers feel, and the hierarchies that they live within. Yeah. And, you know, the number of times that educators say, I feel invisible. Mm-hmm. I felt invisible. I left the classroom because I felt invisible. And it isn't so much that someone else wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I'm going to make sure that the educators in my community are invisible. (laughs) Right. Or I don't think people wake up in the morning and say, you know, I'm going to use my power to suppress the creativity and intellect of the people under me. Mm -hmm. I think that we live in a culture and in a society where it's so much a part of like the fabric of stuff Mm -hmm. and you know a long time ago a very wise educator said to me um it's taken some of these people a really long time to get their degree you know they it's important to them to feel that they have power Mm -hmm. I think it's it's not about taking power away from anybody. It's it's some about sharing power. It's some about recognizing that there's lots to spare <laughs> and that it isn't a finite amount. Yeah. And so if you and I share it, it doesn't mean I have less of it. Mm-hmm. But these are not ideas that are part of the conversation mm-hmm. or at least haven't been part of conversations as much as I think maybe we need to. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Part. Yeah. I'm processing. 
Um, so when when you when you were putting this this book together, thinking about the message of the book, what were your like? What did you hope you would see once the book was out in the world? Ah, what a beautiful question. <laughs> um, well, you again, you said at the outset, everybody who touches the lives of children. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I could give away, you know, if if Oprah would give me a million dollars or give leading for children a million dollars so that we could hand this book to everybody. Like I, I'm not trying to make a dollar. Um, uh -huh. I would like to hand this book. I'd like to throw this book into the hands of people. Um, I feel like if everyone could sit and look at the pictures with each other, the adults and with children and use this book as a conversation starter, Mm -hmm. my dream it would be incredible dream mm -hmm. my this is a tool for communities to be stronger it isn't the strength of communities you know my dream is that three-year-old um maxi lives in a community where their parents, their teachers, their grandparents, their next door neighbors, their legislators are all thinking each day about what is going to help Maxie and Maxie's friends mm -hmm. meet all their potential. And how can they together, you know, support all the Maxies in their community yeah. to hit whatever their, you know, to win yeah. in their lives. I mean, again, another quote in this, in the optimistic leadership book is <laughs> Nelson Mandela's quote of a winner is a dreamer who never gives up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we'd like all those maxis to be winners who never give up, you know, who just keep dreaming and, and they have to be around us who keep dreaming. Mm -hmm. and that's the dream I have for the book, that the yeah. book inspires the conversations that lead to that. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking as, um, as I listen, uh, because you're so um, uh, thoughtful and intentional in your word choice, um, that I want to, again, I want to just ask for a little bit of expansion when you talk about because here's here's what I I have experienced when we're talking about programs or practices or you know ways of being that um, help children reach their full potential. We have a billion different definitions of what potential is and who's deciding what the potential is. Um, so when you talk about this, what are what do you what is in your mind the definition you're using for for children and their potential? Um. I think for me, that means finding out what's possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Simple. You know, in my wildest <laughs> dreams, what? Simple. Simple. It's simple. Yeah. I mean, no one, no one could have told me what my potential is. And I, I, again, I grew up, I wasn't every report card. She's not living up to her potential. Uh, She's an underachiever. Uh -huh. She's this. Her scores are that. 
this isn't happening. And, you know, when I, when I'm in front of a thousand educators doing a keynote speech and they're like, you didn't talk up in school or you were in the hall as a bad kid, <laughs> you know, you thought about dropping out, uh, you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and when I first met my husband who, you know, is a fancy pants PhD from Stanford, <laughs> he heard me say, to a group of people that I was meeting for the first time when they asked me what I did, I said, I'm just a teacher. Mm. And that night he said to me, did you hear yourself? Mm -hmm. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you said you're just a teacher. And I said, well, I didn't hear myself say it, but that is what I am. Yeah. And he said, you work harder than anyone I know. (laughs) We all, we we have that tendency, don't we, to put that just in there. But I say that, or and I say that in the context of potential. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I never thought I would be a writer. I never thought I would be, but I followed dreams. Mm-hmm. So I want every maxi to have the freedom to follow dreams. And um period. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I share that. I, you know, I told you before we started recording that I had just come from a community meeting with a lot of business folks, employers, and a panel was talking about childcare and they were presenting it because you do that when you, when you're speaking to an audience, you choose the, the language and the points you think are going to be most persuasive with that audience. So it was very much, um, return on investment. If you invest in, in early childhood experiences now, here are my big promises based on my re- on research, <laughs> um, vague research <laughs> with vague ideas and definitions of quality. And so I always leave those kinds of conversations feeling really kind of disheartened and, mm. um, and, and the potential there that I hear in those conversations is the potential to do what we need them to do or the potential to be productive to us um, when they are grown. So thinking about this in terms of, um, uh, letting Maxie be a dreamer, <laughs> I think is really amazing. Um, and, and I thank you for that. Um, so you talked, I'm kind of all over the place. Sorry. You talked a lot about following a very oh. a good progression. Okay. All right. Um, the book also, of course, talks a lot about relationships and you've talked a little bit about that. Um, and I think that's, um, that's something that gets some lip service in early childhood circles right now. Um, But I think in practice, people find it really hard to think about what does it mean to have that positive, attuned, healthy relationship, especially if I, you know, I'm one adult responsible for 12, four-year-olds or whatever. Um, Or 18. Or 18, yeah. Um, Or they think, well, um, of course we have a good relationship. They always hug me when they come in in the morning and it's so much deeper than that. Um, and, but what you present and you do this in powerful interactions too, what you present is kind of a simple, um, I guess, uh, description of what that relationship looks like and how we get there. Um, so, uh, in fact, you, you, this one section is why do trusting relationships and interactions matter? So maybe that's a good place to start with this part of the conversation, this relationship specific piece. What are they? Why do they matter? 
Is you it know, different from a child just being happy to see me in the morning? I I would say yes. <laughs> um, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways we can go. I mean, one way that I would want to sort of sit with a big yellow highlighter and underline is, yes, I agree. We pay, pay a lot of lip service to it. Mm -hmm. Um Writing powerful interactions was a really, really extraordinary experience because I thought I understood relationships uh -huh. and interactions. Like I really thought I got it <laughs> until we started writing them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and now I continue to say, oh my God, this ain't a topic we master. Mm -hmm. This is the topic we grapple with. Mm -hmm. And I think it will always be easier to have relationships with people we like. Sure. And it will always be harder to have relationships with people we don't click with. And it doesn't matter whether they're six months old or 60 years old. Mm -hmm. I think it goes back to intention again and decisions. You know, can I let go of myself? Can I... Can I get over myself long enough to be in relationship with someone? And one of the things, another sort of famous Judy line in workshops over many, many years is when you signed your contract, it didn't say, I promise to build relationships with the children I like in my classroom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, it says oh, we're going to build relationships with all children and all families. And that is deep work mm -hmm. and we can read all the research and we can go to all the trainings. A lot of what it takes is really, really looking inside a huge amount of, of self-reflection and self-awareness mm -hmm. about what pushes my buttons. You know, what I, I, I'm 69 years old. I've written many, many books and articles about this subject. I went to an event this weekend and I was suddenly back in junior high school, you know, with like all the anxieties mm. and all the ridiculousnesses. And, you know, like you'd think by now, I get it. So I think the answer to your question is, you know, you know, when a child looks at you and you look at that child and the child has just done something that you wish the child <laughs> hadn't done, but you and the child have that connection mm -hmm. that says, yeah, that wasn't the greatest choice but we still really care about each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or the child does something that really enrages you and you lose it. Yeah. And when it's over, you can say to the child, I'm sorry, I lost it. And what you did really pushed my buttons. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean we don't still care deeply about one another. You know, 
that to me is relationship work. And so the hugs are a taste. Mm -hmm. And when we wrote Powerful Interactions, one of the things that I came up with or that people together with me came up with is, let's say you have 15 kids in your preschool classroom. You can't have 15 great interactions every day with 15. You just can't. It's not mm -hmm. humanly possible. But it's like the good ones are deposits in the bank. And so if you commit to, I'm going to get to know all these kids, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to ever say, I really know them, you're going to realize that it's an ongoing process. And every day you're going to look with fresh eyes at three kids. And at the end of the week, you will have looked with fresh eyes at every kid. Mm -hmm. And if you have a co-teacher, both of you are doing that. To me, that's fairness, that's equity. And that's what it means to nurture relationships. It's ongoing and it's mm -hmm. like a regular commitment to go a little deeper, a little deeper, a little deeper. And not to let the trust meter of, well, you pissed me off yesterday. Yes. I'm still pissed, you know, so I hope that was okay. Yes, uh, but, <laughs> that's um, mild for, <laughs> for a lot of our shows. <laughs> so, you know, but but again, self-awareness, uh -huh. intentionality, commitment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, um, you know, right, always, I think always, but especially now I'm hearing the behaviors. There's so many behaviors. There's so much. The the children are so different now than they used to be, and I just I spend so my different. whole day dealing with behaviors. Yeah, and so I'm I'm thinking about what you're saying in in that lens. So yeah, talk more about what you mean when you say we're so different. <laughs> Cell phones to those okay. to yeah. those people who can't see me. I'm <laughs> holding my phone in front of my face. Yeah, you know, I think I don't think that people were necessarily nicer. I think people made more effort mm -hmm. to communicate because there were not so many easy ways to communicate. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean people communicated well. <laughs> they just made more effort, uh -huh. right? Yeah. So, so I think that... Um, It's impossible to have a conversation with almost any adult for a duration of 15 minutes or longer where somebody doesn't use one of the following words, chaotic, crazy, overwhelmed, so busy, mm. you know, like my to do, you know, that the, the, the sense of what we can accomplish has gotten so much bigger mm -hmm. because you can do seven things at the same time now in a way that you couldn't before. You know, someone said to me, well, I use Audible because I can guarantee read, you know, listen to a book and do something else at the same time. Mm -hmm. and then this morning I was listening to The Moth on NPR and somebody was talking about you know, the experience of being read to and sitting and being yeah. quiet and holding a book. And, you know, so it's like, I want you to read into all of that and mm -hmm. figure out that, like extrapolate from what I'm trying to say. But I think 
that we as adults almost have this false pride in like how busy we are and how stressed we are. And it's like a competition to say, you know, oh my God, my week was so busy. I just didn't have a chance to call you. Well, that's the ecosystem that kids are in. So no wonder kids' behavior is, you know, I mean, do you remember Stanley Greenspan, you know, Uh in mat time, floor time? You know, who, who does that anymore? Yeah. And, and so kids are coming home from long days Mm -hmm. into households where everybody has had long days. Yeah. And we're cramming in a lot before we go to sleep. Our brains are still busy when we're sleeping and we wake up and we're hurrying. Mm -hmm. Well, it's of course kids are going to have behavior problems when they get to school. Yeah. And then there's the whole issue of, are we setting limits the way we used to? Because we're, it's harder to set limits when you just want everybody to be quiet. Ah, uh, sure. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't think there's one issue. Yeah. I just think that I'm obsessed with this idea that <laughs> we need to be looking more at ourselves mm-hmm. Yeah, and not developing so many behavior help strategies. Yeah, yeah that's... That's harder to do than I thought it was that for, for people, for a lot of people, because for whatever reason, and this is not a a boast, but I just like reflection has been something maybe because I read, I I grew up reading a lot. I don't know, but it just seemed natural. And then when I became like a supervisor and I was asking teachers to do reflective practice with me or in the classroom, or anytime I talked about self-awareness or or, or reflecting about something, it seemed like um, it was really difficult for some people to do. And I, I think it's, you know, like any skill, the time you've given and the experience you've had practicing it. Well, um, that could be is a, a huge great, impact, but I think that's a big part of why I wrote the five. Commands. Yeah. So that's our next conversation. Yeah. So that, I guess that's maybe where I was going as I was sort of just babbling my thoughts um, is that this, this simple model might be a really good tool for folks who struggle with. And that other book that we haven't talked about yet, say the title again of the other one. Well, and I wrote the other one with my co-authors first. It's Uh called the five commitments of optimistic leaders for children. And just a quick one. So when we wrote powerful interactions, we had talked about how, We had to separate, and this goes back to your question about relationships. We had to separate the need to connect with a child and the need to extend learning. Mm -hmm. That that we would have a tendency as a human to sit down and just go to extend learning. Yeah. But you wouldn't walk into a dinner party (laughs) and say to somebody, let's talk about that podcast you'd at least say hi how are you (laughs) and maybe like would you like to have a conversation Mm -hmm. right yeah so we got that far of you have to do the connect before you can do the can we talk about the podcast well then we sort of realized well whoa if I just finished with Maria over here and I'm now with Samuel over here I can't shift gears that fast. Mm. 
And so that's where the be present step came uh-huh. in. Okay. Well, so we write this book and we say, step one, be present. Step two, connect. Step three, extend learning. Well, be present, as you said, is like a tall order. Mm-hmm. I realized I had to write a book about being present. Mm -hmm. And so the five commitments of optimistic leaders is really about who am I? Okay. How do I harness my agency to be the person I want to be? Yes. Agency is a big one too. It comes up a lot um, when we talk about um, when I'm in conversations about teacher well-being and, and um, you know, a lot of people will will say, well, it doesn't, there's no place for me to be reflective because someone else is telling me what I should be doing. Um, so that's, um, I don't know, that's another place where maybe just this idea that you're talking about when you talked about open communication and what, what else was it? Uh, trusting, open, honest, trusting, open, honest, trusting um, comes in because I don't, uh, we're all kind of in our silo feeling like we don't have any of that agency. Um, and if we were being, having these honest ongoing conversations, not necessarily waiting till there was a meeting with that on the agenda, but just starting some of these conversations with each other. Um, That's a great that would call help to with action. Some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let me, let me just say, this doesn't fit anywhere, but I want to point it out that at the end of, so your sections kind of have a little bit about research, why, what research tells us. And then you go um, into like real life, the take a look, the photos you're talking about um, uh, in different contexts and it's really relatable. Um, And and I, I get a sense that that was one of the most important pieces for you as you were working on this book is that I wanted, you wanted it to be something that people could see immediately in a specific context that spoke to them. Absolutely. And, um, you know, like if you look at the picture on page 54 and 55 on 54, there's a picture of a mom. I think it, um, let's see if I can get it on the screen for the people who watch this on YouTube. Oh no, actually it is at, I think it is at school, but yeah. Um, yeah so in the swings. In the swings. Yeah. And then in the picture to the right, um, Genevieve is with her dad yeah. at the pool, the you know, yeah. and we wanted it to be not just in the child care center or at the family child care home or in the public preschool, but yeah, in the library, in your in your house, in your public pool, you know, at the park. Mm-hmm. That that that's where children are living and breathing and that's where we're living and breathing. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I think that the story is the story of humanity and community and that we live together in communities Mm -hmm. and that teachers and providers would have an easier time between eight and four (laughs) <laughs> if children were having an easier time between four any the next uh-huh. morning right and that's yeah. why I think it's all of us right yeah so this is also really um important then when we think about if we're thinking about you know myself as an early childhood teacher or provider um we talk about community with families we talk about partnership and engagement but usually it's pretty one-sided it, it's pretty much um 
what I mean is do what we ask you to do. <laughs> when we when we want you to be engaged, we mean um, uh, you know await instructions and report. Uh, but this is a whole different way again, uh, another level of a whole different way from this from this well, book and these I stories. Will... I will have felt like this year was amazing if I can connect with, you know, a bunch of communities and in those communities, there are either some community centers or family child care providers or center-based programs that say, you know, we want to play with you and host these conversations. And can you picture like, the library building collages of photographs Mm -hmm. of the 11 simple rules in their community at home and in programs and in the community or the childcare center in the open, in the lobby of the childcare center, Uh like beautiful photographic stories of, of what these rules look like in action. And that those are co-constructed by everybody in conversation together. Yeah. And we did that. We've done that a little in Wyoming and we've done it in Mississippi. Um, and it's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. So that, uh, I was looking at the clock and we've been yeah, talking we a long go. time. So I want to, I want to end by letting you talk a little bit about the learning communities. Um, and, and just, if people want to get more information about you, where should they go? So, um, I would love to hear from everybody. Heather has a great following and I'm so grateful <laughs> to have had this really fun conversation. It has been, yeah, time went um, fast. And uh, so I started Leading for Children and we we think about creating tools that support us in being more effective as leaders for children. So mm-hmm. the five commitments are one of those tools. The 11 simple rules is another tool. And then the concept of mutual learning that that rather than training, rather than professional development that we create, we begin to create reciprocal, equitable conversations that are inclusive of everybody. And so we have mutual learning networks in communities around the country um, designed to bring people together across roles to build wisdom. Mm-hmm. And to really find synergy and and to learn with and from each other. And um, you can learn more about Leading for Children at our website, leadingforchildren.org. You can reach out to me directly at jjablon at leadingforchildren.org. You also can just go to the website and click on the subscribe to our very cool newsletter. Um, yeah, it is good. And uh and thank you, Heather, so much. Yeah, thank you so much. I um, uh, uh, I didn't, I didn't write it down, but there's a coupon code if people want to order there the book is. and get a discount. Um, um, I think it's just May 2023. Um, I think we should just say it's May 2023. Okay. <laughs> I think that's right, and we'll post that when we when the when the podcast goes um out. Yes, too. we'll, post we'll that. put it on but that for sure. For folks who are listening, I think you're right. Yeah. So hopefully folks will will check it out and hopefully uh, Judy, you'll come back to talk about the optimistic leaders book too, even though there would be my pleasure publication order. Um, Oh, but that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Really great. Our, our optimistic leaders book just came out in Spanish and 11 simple rules will come out in Spanish as well in the next couple of months. 
Yeah. Well, and again, just thank you for being here. Thanks for all the work that you're doing. Um, I know people are going to really enjoy listening to this. And uh, thank you everybody for listening to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. That's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.